Hello, I'm Barbara Kirk, and this talk is about lies. Most of us operate uh, or have operated with a number of lies as we've uh, grown up. You've seen the video on words of power. Lies are another type of words of power. Um, lies are found in our thoughts, our perceptions, um, and they condition our expectations, our behavior, and reactions to the world around us. Sometimes our thoughts um, and perceptions are very close to reality, um, but sometimes not, and that's where we run into trouble. Have you ever said to yourself, why do I keep doing this? P.S., and why am I expecting a different result when I do? Um, this may be an indication that there is a lie in place, where you do something, it doesn't end well, and you look back and you go, I've done that before and it didn't work. Why did I try it again? Why aren't I thinking? Um, what does God say about lies? There's a couple of uh, Proverbs that help. The Good News Bible version of Proverbs 4, 23 and 24 says, Be careful how you think. Your life is shaped by your thoughts. Never say anything that isn't true. Have nothing to do with lies and misleading words. This is a really high bar. I don't know if any of you have ever really looked at that verse or thought about it, but I I hadn't until I came to PR. And that is the lie lecture in two sentences. Be careful how you think. Your life is shaped by your thoughts. Never say anything that isn't true. Have nothing to do with lies and misleading words. Remember the talk on words of power? talked about vows and declarations or judgments. Um, and when we accept those things, um, when they're untrue, it changes our lives. It changes how we think about ourselves or about others. Um, and most importantly, it restricts us from being who we were designed to be. As we grow up and move into the world, it's the people around us, particularly parents and teachers, but others as well, that help us create assumptions and expectations about life. This is how we learn about right and wrong. Um, this is how we learn to distinguish truth from lies. If we've become conditioned to believe lies, our thinking is distorted um, so that it becomes very difficult to identify truth. Um, because if something's consistent with a lie that we believe, why would we suspect it to be untrue? I know this is true, so this must be true. Um, it fits with the context that we've created in our mind and heart. Um, we did a, a live seminar, this really a lot of years ago, and there was a woman from Asia, and she was having a little trouble with the concept of seeing things through a distorted lens. And the phrase that she came up with ended up being a phrase that everybody in the seminar used for the rest of the seminar, which is seeing the world through crooked eyes. And I just thought it was very description, descriptive um, and really helpful because it's not, uh, it's our perception that is causing the problem, not necessarily the situation that we're looking at. So, 
These concepts that we learn from those around us usually are according to the world's standards or our culture, of course, not God's standards. I've spoken with very few people in prayer resolution that when introducing a discussion about their sexual past, where we're looking at um, having them um, be cleansed, most of these people are really shocked and appalled when I speak of God's standard. Kissing? You want me to confess kissing? My standard response is, well, did you kiss him like you would kiss your great Aunt Matilda? And at this point, for some reason, everybody is uniformly totally grossed out. They stick their tongue out. They go, ah, oh, ick. I'm thinking, I'm sorry, but the Aunt Matilda kiss is not an ick. <laughs> it's actually a gentle, respectful peck. So, um, but the idea of doing that with someone that has their hormones racing, it just doesn't really fly for them. So, and because of these kinds of things, we've grown really accustomed to using euphemism and making, uh, using words that make actions that God calls sin sound like they're okay to do. And that's one of the things that we do as we sort through anybody's life in prayer resolution is, well, what does God call this? Um, and does that change how you think about it? Um, it's never our job to beat somebody into submission of our ideas of right and wrong. It is our job to facilitate having them hear what God says about these things and then deciding in their heart what their proper response should be. Um, one of the key concepts here is that we can speak out of what we know, which is in our brain, but we act and feel out of what we believe, which is in our heart. It's our heart that must be released from the bondage of the lie. And make no mistake about it, lies are a bondage. They restrict how you can, how you can move and respond to things because you're stuck on this one particular little path. So Proverbs 27:19 says, as water reflects a face, so a man's heart reflects the man and you see the heart in how people behave and um, act and the feelings that they express I really love the examples in the syllabus of misconceptions that don't affect us much I look good in blue well it may actually make you look like you have some kind of blood disorder but Hey, if you like it, who cares? Uh, a taco a day is healthy. And every time I read this or think about this, I start thinking about what kind of taco would I make that's healthy? So anyway, that's Richard's sense of humor. And I'm sure it was for a long time one of his, uh, one of the things he would try to build his life around, a taco a day. I actually don't know that. So anyway, so those are the ones that don't really have a significant impact, whether we believe them or not. But there are foundational beliefs that are the basis of how we live. And when these are lies, we are badly misdirected. And we don't function in the way that we were designed to. For instance, if I say it's not possible for me to be loved, 
So anyone who wants to love me is rebuffed because they are obviously lying. Or I don't deserve to live. So then anybody who wants your good is suspect. I am garbage. Everyone is out to harm me. Each of us has a distinctive way of seeing the world, establishing perspectives that account for reality as we see it. These become self-fulfilling processes. Prophecies, sorry. So, if you think you're garbage, then no good thing is, you don't deserve any good thing, is I guess the way I want to put it. So, and these can carry out in a lot of different ways. So if we see God as very busy or distant and and just waiting to be disappointed by our actions, we are unable to see God as loving, comforting, or encouraging. There's one man that I know uh, when we were doing PR. I, it's one of my favorite questions to ask people with is, how do you see God? If you're praying, what's the picture or image or feeling that you have when you're addressing him. And this one guy said, oh, he's way far away and very high up. Um, And he has a hammer in his hand. So he is just waiting for this man to make a mistake so he can go whap. Um, Now this guy happened to be a father of um, a large number of kids. And He was an incredibly involved and loving dad. And I said, so if one of your kids um, did something that was wrong, whether they'd been taught about it before or not, but they made a mistake, they colored outside the lines in whatever way that was important on that day. And um, I said, do you get the hammer out and go whack him? Or... Do you crouch down so that you're eye to eye with him and say, come here, honey, and wrap your arms around him and say, that didn't work out very well, did it? What do you think you ought to do next time in a situation like this? And you talk about it. And then you say, so when we do this, it's a problem. And when we do this, it blesses people, blesses me as your parent. It blesses you because you get rewards. you know, kind of whatever the lesson is from that um, thing. I'm telling you, this guy's jaw just dropped and he was silent for at least a full minute because he had never seen God like that. Up close, personal, arms around going, Honey, that didn't work out so well, did it? And when you can, when, when the Holy Spirit taps you and goes, Use his own fatherhood, run with it because... It will be amazing. So when we can experience God as loving, the explanations that we have for life's ups and downs, no matter how tragic they are or how thrilling they are, will be completely different than if you think you're garbage and you just deserve bad things. In John 9, um, Christ was asked, Why is this man a cripple? Did he or his parents sin? Their conclusion was a difficult situation means God's punishment. Christ's answer was essentially, that's unrelated. It's for God's glory. So, how do you live differently when you think, 
oh, this is a difficult thing and I'm being punished. You have your head down, you're not looking ahead, you're carrying guilt and shame. Or you have that same situation and you say, God can use my situation for his glory. That is a wholly, a completely different take on it. And it has your head up looking forward saying, God, where do you want me? What do you want me to do today? How can I, how can I be part of this thing? If you can. One leads to death, crouched down, bent over, ashamed. One leads to life. (coughs) Heavenly Father, how can I be part of this? Now on page 107 in your syllabus, um, we talk a little bit about semantics. Um, Don't get nervous. It's not going to be difficult. Semantics is an area of linguistics, which is the study of language. Um, Connie and Richard are experts at that. And semantics involves the meaning and the components that make up meaning of words and phrases. So the example that's used in the syllabus is snow. It's white, it's cold, it's powdery, turns to water when it's warmed up. So I decided, what's the opposite of that? Well, it's Hollywood snow. It's white, but it's room temperature. It doesn't melt. Made up of ground-up styrofoam or something along those lines. That I just made that up, but you know what I mean. Same word, completely different meanings, completely different substance. So when we're discussing a concept, a knife, a fork, a marriage, forgiveness, it's really important to discover how you or the person you're working with defines the concept. So marriage, is it a blessing or is it slavery? And the slavery definition includes a loss of freedom and a loss of self to the one that you marry. That is daunting. I mean, why would you get married? Um, silverware. Utensils to facilitate eating. Hopefully eating delicious food. Um, or are they implements to harm yourself or others? Forgiveness. Saying it's okay to be wronged and that it's good to remain in relationship with an untrustworthy person. There are many who teach that, I think, wrongly. Or is forgiveness handing the situation and the hurt over to the Heavenly Father to do justice um, and making a second decision about the wisdom of being in relationship with the person who's harmed you. And where should those boundaries be? So you can see same words but really different takes on them. And that's the value of semantics. So if somebody tells you, well, I believe... XYZ and your definition of XYG is pretty positive. You go, okay, so. But if their definitions of XYZ are very hurtful and harmful, they have a potent lie that is going to continue to be a stumbling block for them. So it's really important that we define the terms. Um, and remember, we do not act or react, live, behave out of what we know, but out of what we believe. So what do I believe about this statement? Or, which is not at all the same as what does Webster's Dictionary say about this term?
So to recap, when we are discussing a concept or a lie, the first thing is to define the terms. The second thing to know how to define the term as the person is seeing it. Second thing to know is how God defines the term. What is his perception of reality, the facts, and what is his standard? Not the world standard. We accept a lot of things that God does not find acceptable. And all of us should be a little more focused, a lot more focused in that direction than fitting into our culture. And the third thing, is the belief truth or is it a lie? Um, most of the time we know which it is. Oh, I do this because I believe that. And that's the surprise, that you have this underlying belief that is steering you um, off of true north. Well, that's dumb. That's a lie. Many people know it so well that they are very effective teachers about the truth because they know the truth. But they don't, excuse me, but they don't believe it for themselves. So, for instance, um, Pam had an untrustworthy father. So anybody who was a father she didn't trust, including her Heavenly Father. But she was able to teach it passionately that God our Father is a trustworthy Father who cares and loves and wants to know us and wants to hear us. And the people that she taught, could she taught a lot of new believers, and they were able to accept that teaching and move with it. And that was awesome, but she was constrained um, so her acts reflected the lie that's in resonance that if you're a father you're just not trustworthy um, sometimes though we are deceived to the point that we don't know it's a lie what do you do then well the same as always when we don't know what to do we say heavenly father I believe this and this and this is this true? Now that's a nice yes, no question. If it's true, great. Accept it. Move on to the next thing. If it's not, then you stop and say, okay, it's a lie. How has it affected me? Who gave it to me? Who reinforced it? Am I going to forgive them? Second question to that is, do I want to be rid of this? Why, yes. So then you do forgive them. Um, and then you look at your part, which is, of course, that you believed it. So, um, oh, I just ran ahead of my notes. Um, so, if it's a lie, who gave it to you? What, by what actions, by what words, or don't forget, by what silence? So, if somebody is standing by while somebody is throwing labels at you and telling you what a despicable human being you are, and this other person, who you know loves you, is not speaking at all, they are agreeing with that person, as far as you can tell. I mean, they may just be the biggest chicken in the world and not wanting to upset this obnoxious person further. Um, but to you, it signals that they agree and they would never have said that to you. And so you're kind of stuck with it. Um, so you accuse each person, whether they 
gave you the lie or whether they reinforced it. And then you look at your own part. And the standard confession is, I believed this, I lived it out, and then how it brought harm to you. So ways that you were misdirected by operating under this lie. Now, one of the things you're going to think about is that some lies, a lot of lies, start when we're small children and we don't know any better. But as of right now, when you're starting to call it a lie, you do know better. So it's time to get rid of it. So you do confess. Now, confession is not saying I'm a terrible person. It's more like I did a bad thing that brought harm on me. Father, will you forgive me? I find a lot of people that really kind of choke on confessions and sometimes on accusations because they really feel that these are things that make them ineligible for grace, ineligible for God's love. And that's not true at all, luckily for us. So the third question is, what do you want to do about this lie? Now, one of my favorite one-minute topics is free will. And um, free will is a double-edged sword, and it is a really rugged thing that we have. One edge is we have choice. We can choose to do this or to not do this or to do that or not do it. But the other side of it is that God allows us to make poor decisions or choices. So if we want to change the choice that we've made, we have to tell our Heavenly Father that. So um, some people have chosen to have sexual relationships outside of marriage. <coughs> and so it's become sort of a norm. And they have recently been convicted that that is a wrong thing. And so to reject those things, they have to tell their Heavenly Father, I've made this choice in the past over and over again, and I don't want to do that anymore. And we do we we tell him that we're changing our decision out loud. We speak it. Heavenly Father, I reject this lie. We need to hear it with our own ears so that our brain can process it and go, what? The witnesses need to hear it so that they can witness our prayer. Satan needs to hear it to know that his reign is coming to an end. God wants to know our position on this because he is committed to not violating our will. Very generous and very difficult. If this step is not done, then the lie remains. <coughs> Truth does not push aside a lie. Um, a lie must be rejected and the power broken or it remains in residence. If the lie remains, we create a dual system. Sort of like Pam who could teach about the fatherhood of God and what a wondrous thing it was for us, but not act on that. Um, <clears throat> so you have truth and untruth existing together. Um, and we can teach it, but not do it. I've heard um, many instances of people who are public figures who were brought down because of something that they lived out that was completely contrary to how they represented themselves 
in public service or um, in church or whatever. And and frequently what I've found is that this, um, whatever this wrong was that they were living out is has been one of their very favorite topics that they've spoken passionately about time after time after time. But in their hidden life, they were drawn into it and couldn't walk away from it. So it's almost like they couldn't hear their own sermons or or lectures. Um, <clears throat> so to recap that last five minutes or so is number three, you reject the lie. Pretty good for a summary, huh? Um, the fourth step in getting rid of a lie is to ask the Heavenly Father to break the power of the lie. He's the one that can do it. We cannot. We accepted the lie, so we accepted the influence of the kingdom of darkness in our lives. You remember that one of Satan's titles is the father of lies. So we are accepting his influence when we accept the lie and feed the lie. Our Heavenly Father is the one that can break any ties with the kingdom of darkness for his children. We don't command God to break these. We ask him. I found a lot of people saying, break the power of this lie. And I kind of back them up and go, how about making that a request of your Heavenly Father? I think it's just polite. Next, we let the Holy Spirit do his work in us. It's not our job to make things happen, um, but to partner with the Holy Spirit. Uh, We get in God's way when we try to fix it ourselves. Okay, I got a lie. Now I need to... I need to not believe that. Pretty hard. Really hard. So our actual goal is not to fix things, particularly not ourselves, but to be healed, which is a whole different thing. That's not a whole bunch of extra nails and, and plasterboard or whatever. That's really a hand going, and it's made whole again. And that will give you a different kind of life. So at this point, the power source of the lie is gone. There's a void where the lie was. Remember the story about cleaning the house of evil spirits? And the space was left empty. And those spirits were turned with even more spirits so that it was um, dirtier than before. So you've got this empty space. And you need it filled with the kingdom of heaven. You need it filled with truth. So you're going to ask your Heavenly Father for a truth to replace the lie. God is truth, so he knows what is truth and what truth will help replace this lie for me. Um, You remember one of our speakers talked about um, being in a noisy room to try to do prayer resolution because... There was a music team practicing next door. And it was exactly that annoying noise that spoke to the person and that gave her this life-changing truth that she experienced. So you're going to ask God for a truth. And this is the place where many, many people feel they need to help God. So their brain kicks in and they try to figure out what would be a good truth? What would sound good? What would look good for a truth? 
I think that this is mainly performance anxiety. So that's what I call it when I'm working with people. Don't don't get performance anxiety. This is God's job. Your job is to put your brain in kind of a neutral, receptive um, condition and let the Holy Spirit speak into your heart. Usually the truth is fairly prompt in arriving, but not always. So after a minute or two, you say, what's going on in there? And especially if you've seen their face doing stuff. And um, to me, frequently, the answer is, oh, nothing. That's my favorite because that almost has always has a truth lurking about. Um, the truth may come as a picture, a memory, some music, a verse of scripture, words, feelings. A lot of people get pictures and that I tend to think in pictures, so that's always how I got mine. And then you need to understand what's that picture conveying to me. So <clears throat> you talk about it with the safe other or with your hurting one, what it might mean, and you reduce it to a powerful easily remembered truth. So, for instance, one of my very favorite ones um, was a woman who felt unlovable or not valuable. And um, when asked, what's going on in there? She said, oh, nothing. And then um, they said, is there a picture or anything that you see? And she said, well, yeah, just a daffodil. And she was asked, well, what does a daffodil mean? Again, oh, nothing. But then she said, daffodil is just my favorite flower, and I can't help but smile when I look at it, at one. So the truth ended up being, rather than I'm not lovable or I'm not valuable to I'm valuable, which is sort of one-dimensional. The truth was, I think I just had this wrong. God can't help but smile when he sees me. Now, the way I just worded that is about God, not about me. So I think I have the actual truth incorrectly. But that was the concept. Um and there's another one that has become one of my favorites that it also was not a person that I worked with, but she felt insignificant. And <clears throat> when she asked for a truth, she looked up and her eyes were big and her face was kind of, whoa. And they said, what are you, what's going on in there? And she said, I see a tsunami. I mean, she didn't just see big surf. She saw a tsunami wave, and she knew it was a tsunami wave. And they said, what do you think that means? She leaned back, and she went, I am a force to be reckoned with. Now, to go from insignificant to a force to be reckoned with, that is some travel time. That's amazing. And I'm quite certain that it changed her life. I certainly know it did in the short term. So, and then... In asking for a truth, sometimes you have a picture that doesn't seem to mean anything. And you're kind of going, well, I don't know. I remember um, when I was doing my prayer resolution stuff, I at one point was asking for a truth, and I got this very static picture 
of a workplace that I worked in. A couple people sitting at workstations. I'm standing behind them. The lights are bright. And nothing is happening. There's, I mean, and it took my safe others a little bit to get on board with me that this picture doesn't mean anything. It means nothing. And it didn't have anything to do with me. So um, we ended up um, praying um, and commanding any spirit that is blocking my reception of God's um, communication to me. We commanded them in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to not manifest. And we commanded them in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to be silent. And then um, I went on to receive a truth. So the question when you run into one where you feel like you're not quite getting there, the first question is, does your Heavenly Father want you to have a truth? Yes, He does. There's no question about this. So um, one of the things you can ask is, Heavenly Father, is is this picture I have or this verse or memory or whatever a symbol of the truth you have for me? That's a simple yes, no thing, which makes it much easier to understand. Now, if you're not getting, if you get a yes and you don't quite know what to do with it, then you say, Father, I think I need more information to be able to understand this. I really want to receive your truth. And so you be silent again and he will add some more information until you have enough to see what he's saying or understand what he's saying. If this picture or phrase or whatever is not the truth that he has for you, then you ask again for a truth and you may um, want to command spirits in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to be silent and get out of the way. And they have to because you are using the name of the one with all the authority, Jesus Christ. So, um, and sometimes there's a delay in receiving the truth. I um, did my prayer resolution um, stuff in a town an hour from here. Um, and I would go after work and we would talk and talk and talk and talk and talk. But it was, for me, that ended up, I thought, I don't know how I'm going to do this. But that hour going to and the hour driving home gave me processing time. And it was really helpful. But this one time, we all three of us were just exhausted and they're just, I didn't seem to have access to any truth that would respond to this lie. And so I was driving the hour home and on one of the last turns before I arrived at my house, all of a sudden, it just felt like, like a SIM card was getting slotted in. Bing! And I had it, I had the words of the truth just right smack in front of me. And I was like, oh! I mean, I kind of had to pull over because I was kind of excited. Not to mention relieved because I had the truth. But um, know that this is not a cookie cutter thing. There's a lot of things that affect how we receive things from God. There's a lot of things um, that affect... There's a lot of factors. Everybody is individual. And so... Um, for those of you who are high structure people, um, I want you to kind of relax when you're doing this. Because this is the Holy Spirit thing. 
just like all the rest of prayer resolution is. It is a Holy Spirit thing, so you don't have to worry about performance anxiety either. You wait patiently, you coach, you ask questions that you're maybe prompted to ask, and um, you see what happens. So if I am... Um, and, and sometimes when there's a delay where you're not receiving a truth, sometimes you end up dealing with a different lie, getting a truth, and then all of a sudden you have a truth that you can see for the previous lie that you weren't getting an answer to. So um, if I'm sending somebody home without a truth, I try very hard to make sure that we have done accusing and forgiving, confession and asking for forgiveness, rejecting the lie and asking our Heavenly Father to break the power of the lie. And then we ask the Holy Spirit to cover that until it is time for the truth to be received. Um, and I always encourage the Holy Spirit to keep working on it in until it is time so that when it's time for that to come back up, everybody's ready. And that works pretty well. But we want to close down the topic as much as possible. You're waiting for truth. Okay, but all these other things can be done without having the truth. And so the person can walk away at least free from that. And you are asking the Holy Spirit to cover and to be on guard so that the house doesn't get filled up with ugly spirits in the meantime. So, um, the next piece of... Um, getting a truth is is um, identifying it. You you may have a picture, you may have um, a response, and you're pretty sh- you 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 know what the truth is, but you need to understand it well. And as a safe other, you need to make sure that it is a truth that will actually function for this person. Lies are um, can be about people or the way the world works, and those are important. Like, all men are untrustworthy. Well, you need to fix that lie because maybe the ones that you know have been untrustworthy, but not all men are trustworthy, untrustworthy. So, the first thing when you're looking at the truth is, the lie is usually about your created self. I am garbage is not about being a Christian. It's not about belonging to Christ. It's about being born without value. So the truth will be about your created self, not your salvation self. You want a creation truth. Um, And a lot of people, particularly ones who have grown up in the church, will shoot for the, "I'm, I'm special because I'm a believer and I'm in God's family. Well, you were special long before that. Um, You will hear this again in the talk on worthiness or something like it. We are not valuable because we're saved. We are not valuable because we're saved. We are saved because we were made so valuable. Salvation is a gift that is given to us because God is absolutely delighted with his workmanship. 
Now, for a lot of us, most of us, perhaps all of us, we do need to be hosed down intermittently and cleaned up. However, um, so if the truth is um, moving towards a, because I'm a Christian, this is true about me, it needs to be redirected. The, the phrasing they have or the picture they have may be the truth God wants them to have, but they need to look at it from creation. When you were born, what was true about you? Um, so the truth must be about you and must be about your created self. So um, one of the examples in the syllabus, again, is God loves me. That's a truth about God. God is the subject. Me is the object. Just had to throw a little grammar in there to make people nervous. I'm not going to keep doing it, though. I am lovable is about me. Um, I am the subject. Lovable is the adjective. So this may, sorting some of this out and getting the right perspective on it may take some discussion with the safe other. And um, sometimes there's a little bit of a delay in understanding the truth, but usually not a lot. So to me, the most beautiful sight in the world is someone raising their face from asking God for a truth and you see wonder and peace on their face. They are gobsmacked. And then I know we've got something special going on. The truth will be very special um, for the person and meaningful to them, but it also tends to be universal. So when I had, when I asked God for a different picture of him um, than the previous one that I had had, he was sitting in my grandfather's armchair with his arms out, ready to receive me. And that was like, and I knew that I was welcome and that I could just stop standing and run into his arms. And that was a really different picture for me, which was pretty cool. So, once the truth has been determined, the hurting one takes their stand and accepts the truth. Um... And as in rejecting the lie, you do this out loud. You need to hear it. The witness to your prayer needs to hear it. Satan needs to hear it. And God needs to know your will. I accept this truth. And the elements are from you, Heavenly Father, for me, and it's about me. And then you ask God to bind this truth to your heart. Um, and then you practice it. The binding part is actually, to me, a thing that um, what it does is it it kind of locks it in. And to me, it's giving permission to the Holy Spirit to call my attention anytime my thoughts are starting to go down that path. So when we ask God to bind this truth to our hearts, we're asking, number one, to make it an integral part of who we are. To me, I'm also asking the Holy Spirit to help me be alert to times when my thought habit is starting to kick in. The lie is dead, but the habit form of it 
is still there for a while. And so um, we need to be reminded when we are starting to go down that road. And that's when you say, no, 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 I reject that. That's a lie. This is the truth. And um, in doing this, you starve the lie. You don't give it the attention that it needs to survive. And you feed the truth so that it becomes stronger and stronger. Now, research says that it takes 20 to 30 days, I've heard different numbers, um, to change a strong habit. The first time I heard that, I went, uh-huh, sure. But you know what? It's true. And so if you practice this truth, I tend to give the people I work with a card that they can put somewhere, a little index card on the in a bright color, which maybe is obnoxious, maybe not. but And I put the lie on one side of it, write a big X through it, turn it over, and write down what their truth is. And it kind of depends on how their life works. Maybe they need to look at that and practice it before they go to bed. Maybe they need to do it first thing in the morning. Maybe they need to do it throughout the day. That would be my recommendation. But they definitely need to do it when the Holy Spirit taps them on the shoulder and goes, hey, that's not the right path, Um, so they can correct it. Um, So using the daffodil example, when you start to think you're unlovable or unvaluable, not valuable, you picture that daffodil and then you start to smile. And you go, oh, yeah, no, I'm a daffodil. So the main thing in making this a part of who you are in in even a stronger way than the lie has been part of who you are is to starve the lie, feed the truth. There. Isn't that easy? Actually, this is a very fun thing to do, but the safe other needs to be alert to, is that really a truth that will answer this lie and replace it or is it off on a little bit of a tangent or is it so um, but you're not on your own in this the Holy Spirit is with you and he wants you to know God wants you to have a truth period and so both of you safe other or hurting one have the most powerful force in the universe working with you and moving you in a direction that will bring you life. And not What I wanted to do just as a final step is to um, go through the list on page 110, um, steps to resolving distortion and lies, so that you see kind of what the kernel of each step is rather than all the words. So first would be recognizing the belief. What's the lie? Um, determining if it's the truth or a lie, and then um, determining those that I perceive gave me the message or reinforced it by word, deed, attitude, or silence. And then accusing the person or persons that have some responsibility in this, and then deciding whether you're going to extend forgiveness to them. And in doing so, You give up your right to accuse or to be a witness against them in this matter. You 
then look at your part, confess believing the lie, and ask for forgiveness. And it's and then you reject the lie. You ask God to break the power that the lie has had in your life. Ask for the truth to replace the lie. And once you've determined what that truth is, you accept the truth from God about me and I'm choosing to believe it. And then ask God to bind the truth to me so I can believe it and live it out. And that's that's the main thing, living it out. So sometimes having gone through this, you discover there are a lot of harmful or unhelpful emotions that are attached to the experiences that actually um, gave you the lie. So you would give those emotions to God, ask him to remove them, because they're not necessary anymore. They've done their job, they've brought you to God, and now they can retire. Um, You ask him to put the memories under control of the Holy Spirit, or you ask the Holy Spirit to take control of the memories. Um, Sometimes there are family bonds that need to be restored or broken. Sometimes there are occult issues that arose from the lie or created the lie um, that need to be dealt with, and there may be sexual issues coming out of that sin confronted as well. So I hope this has been helpful, and thank you very much for your attention.